today we're going to dive into Romans chapter 8. Uh, as a preacher, you're always worried that you're not going to do such a wonderful passage justice. Uh, it's a little intimidating to come to Romans 8, but it's so full and so rich. It's very exciting as well to come to Romans 8. We're going to see how far we get today. I'm going to read the first four verses and uh, going to answer a couple of questions today about this passage. Let's read now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit may God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word to us today well I want to, an, an, to, to answer to ask and answer three questions today what that's the first question why is the second question and how is the third question. And I mean to say it that way. What? Because that's the most important question we're going to answer. There's an amazing truth uh, being communicated here in Romans 8, verse 1. An amazing truth. An astounding truth. No condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are a Christian... What this means is that you should never, ever feel condemnation. Paul says here that there is no possibility of condemnation for the Christian. It doesn't exist for the Christian because your past sins, present sins, and future sins have already been dealt with once and forever. That's great news. Do you realize that as a believer? Do you realize what the implications of what Paul is saying here for your life? No condemnation. Many Christians fail to grasp that truth, the truth of verse 1, and they suffer for it. Many want to limit the meaning of this phrase, there's no condemnation in Christ, to only our past sins or only our past and present sins. Many people believe that Christians who confess sin and then live a good life are forgiven, and at that moment they're not condemned. But if they should sin, they believe that they're back under condemnation until they confess their sins and repent again. And if they don't repent again, then they will be condemned and lost forever. I used to believe that when I was a young believer. And I was always worried because I was always sinning. And I was worried that I would be engaging in some sin and I would die and then I would go to hell forever. So it's important that we understand this verse correctly. Christians are not people who can be moving back and forth in and out of condemnation. That's not what this passage says. That's not what the rest of the Bible says. 
Paul here is saying categorically that for a believer, condemnation no longer exists at all. It's not waiting and lurking around in the wings, waiting to jump on you again. It's not going to come back to you. It's not clouding your future. Condemnation is gone. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, most of our troubles are due to our failure to realize the truth of this verse. Condemnation is no longer a possibility for the one who is in Christ Jesus, the one who is united to Jesus by faith. Now, thinking about condemnation, it's a legal term, of course, and it includes a declaration and an execution. For example, a judge, a judge declares that a man is guilty of murder. He's heard the case, the evidence is there, there's no doubt about it. He makes a declaration. The man is guilty and he is condemned, sentenced to the death penalty. The murderer at that point is in a state of condemnation. He has been condemned by the judge, even though the sentence of death has not yet been executed. We say he's a dead man walking, is the phrase. The law has condemned the man. He is under condemnation, and one day he will be actually condemned. Christians, on the other hand, are not under condemnation because the ultimate judge, God, has made the opposite declaration and execution. What's the opposite of condemnation? Justification. To condemn someone says that they're guilty of something. To justify someone says that you're not guilty, you're righteous. God has made that declaration for the believer. Not only has it been declared, it has been executed. You have been declared not guilty if you're a believer and completely exonerated once and for all. And this status cannot be changed because it's not based on your righteousness. It's based on Christ's righteousness. And Christ cannot be anything but righteous. There is now no more condemnation left for us who are in Christ Jesus. It is gone. And there can never be more condemnation for us. It doesn't exist for the believer anymore. There is nothing but acceptance and welcome by God for the believer. And that's the most wonderful news ever. See, if you fail to grasp this, it will leave you living under a cloud of guilt, fear, and unworthiness. Serving the Lord will become drudgery because you're doing it out of fear and duty instead of out of love and gratitude. You think about that. If, if someone... Uh, think about a family member that we have who uh, always expects to get a thank you note for whatever uh, they do for us. And you, you sometimes it might be a small thing that they do or a large thing, but we're, we're always careful to write that thank you note or we might be condemned. <laughs> so maybe our thank you notes are not written so much out of love and gratitude as out of duty and fear. We can serve God that way. If you think that 
If I don't do the right thing, then God's going to get me. If you, you continuously live like that, God will condemn me if I, if I don't live up to a certain standard. If you live that way, if you try to serve God that way, it won't last. It becomes drudgery. But if you remember the good news of the gospel, of what Christ has actually done for us, and that he freely pardons our sins because he came to earth and died for them, if you remember that he does this even though he's got every reason to, to condemn us, he doesn't. He freely saves us. It's a free gift. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to deserve it. It's the greatest thing ever. We live for eternity in heaven with him. We have a relationship with him now. All these blessings he freely gives us. He brings us into that relationship with himself. How can we not have gratitude and love? When I was a high school senior, I was very reticent. Back to thank you notes again. Uh, I received a lot of gifts. You know, you receive things. Uh, some, sometimes you receive very nice gifts, and, and sometimes you received, you know, a $10 gift card to Walmart. But you have to write thank you notes for everybody. And I always found it a little difficult to come up with the words for a thank you note for a $10 gift card from Walmart versus a thank you note for someone who bought me a car. See, that's a lot easier to write that thank you note, and you're happy to write it, and the words flow easily. Same is true with us and God. If we, are, if we are short of gratitude, if we don't grasp the gravity of what he's done for us, then we won't be truly grateful. And if we don't understand that he has freed us from condemnation through all that he's done for us, then we won't have that kind of gratitude that is driving a life of service and love and gratitude to him. So, what? <laughs> that first question, there's no condemnation for us in Christ, and we ought to rejoice in that. And that's an astounding truth. Astounding that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, the second question I want to ask and answer is why. Verse 2 answers that. He says, for, which indicates uh, that he's answering the question, you know, how can there be no condemnation? He says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, when he uses the term law here, he's using it a little different than he has been using it uh, in, in, verse, in chapter 6, 7, 8, and, and throughout the rest of Romans. Often, uh, well, usually when he's talking about law, he's talking about the, the, the Ten Commandments. He's talking about the moral law uh, summed up in the two great commandments, love God and love your neighbor. But here he's talking about a principle or a force, uh, actually both of those things, or a power, a principle or a power. Think of it like the law of gravity. You know, we, we talk about the law of gravity. It's a scientific fact. There, there is gravity. It holds us to the earth and uh, keeps us from flying off into space. It's a scientific fact that we live with every day. We may not even think about it. We, and who does? Who thinks about the law of gravity on a daily basis? Uh, but it's a, it's a principle, a scientific principle, but it is also a force or a power. It, there is a force or power that keeps us on the earth. And when we jump off a building, we don't fly or we don't float. We fall to the ground. It's the law of gravity. It's a principle, 
but it's also a force or a power. When he talks about the law of the spirit of life, and he talks about the law of sin and death, he's talking about this in the same way, a principle and a power. So let's look at the law of sin and death first. He's been describing that in chapter 7. This principle, this law of sin and death says, the principle is that your sin, we're all sinners, and sin brings death. He's been arguing in chapter 7 that it's not the law that does this. The law exposes sin. The law condemns sin. And I'm, the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments. It shows us that. It condemns us. And, and, and it's because of our sin. And sin leads to death. So there's a law, a principle. Sin is a power. It's a principle and it's a power. It's a power that is at work in us. It's a power that has separated us from God. It's a power that we're fighting with in our lives. It exists. It's there. Now the law of the spirit of life, that refers to the work of the Holy Spirit. For the believer, and what he's saying here, the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This problem you have that you are a sinner and subject to death, that principle, that power that, that, is, that is over you, has been broken. You've been freed from that by the law, the principle that the Spirit now dwells in you. And the Spirit is bringing life to you. If we go back through Romans and look at the different places where the Holy Spirit is mentioned before this, we see three examples, and I've given them to you in the outline if you have that. Romans 2, 29 says in the discussion where he's painting everyone as a sinner, Jew, Gentile alike, he says this about the Jews. A Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man but from God. So he talks about this circumcision of the heart that is by the Spirit. And that's true. The Holy Spirit dwells in believers, and the Holy Spirit circumcises the heart. And circumcision was a, a ceremony that, was, that indicated cleansing, and it also indicated uh, union with the people of God. That was a, the covenant sign that showed that you were one of the nation of Israel. If you wanted to convert to become a Jew, then you had to be circumcised to have the covenant sign. And it's a symbol of cleansing, as I said. The Holy Spirit is working in believers to cleanse them, to sanctify, to work out our salvation in, in, in real time, in real life. And it is also, as he's going to say in a few verses later, that the Spirit being in us is, shows that we are believers. We we. If, we're not, if we don't have the Spirit in us, we're not believers, he goes on to say. Then Romans 5.5, 5, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So again, reinforcing that the Holy Spirit dwells in believers and he's shedding God's love in our hearts. And then back in chapter 7, it says that uh, in verse 6, we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive so that we are in the new way, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So the Spirit is, is giving us power to serve Him in this new way, not just by following a set of rules, but by renewing us and encouraging us and, and working through us and in us. So when we see the law of the Spirit of life, this principle that 
the Spirit dwells in believers, and he's, and he's doing God's work. The Spirit has freed us from this other principle, this other power that has rule over us, the power of sin. It has been broken. So we are no longer under that power of sin. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because we've been forgiven, washed, and filled with the Spirit. We've, we've had the, the guilt of sin removed from us, but we've also had the power of sin broken that it was over us. Now finally, how? Verse 3, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. As I said before, the law cannot free you from the guilt of sin or the power of sin. He says here, God has done what the law couldn't do, but a lot of people keep trying to make the law do what it cannot do. They try to keep the law, they try to follow the law, and they think, well, if my goods outweigh my bads, at the end, God will accept me. They're living by the law. But the law cannot do anything but condemn you because you cannot keep the law perfectly. You are guilty. And anyone who is guilty must be condemned. The law can't do it for you. And it can't break the power of sin. And that's specifically what he's talking about here. The law is weakened by the flesh. The law can't do what Christ has done by condemning sin in the flesh. Now the law can condemn sin. It does condemn sin. That's one of the purposes of the law. It condemns sin in us. But it cannot free us from the power of sin. And that's what God did. God freed us from the power of sin by condemning sin in the flesh. Jesus came, it says here, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus was not sinful. That's why it says it in this very specific way. In the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. When he became a man, he, he became fully human without sacrificing his divinity, but he did not become sinfully human. He did not have a sin nature. He was perfect in every way. And when he died on the cross, sin was condemned in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. Christ became sin and he was condemned there. Sin was condemned in the flesh, in Jesus' flesh, on the cross. And so we, the power of sin has been broken for us. We're no longer under its guilt, no longer under its power. The Spirit is the power at work in believers. Now it doesn't mean we don't struggle. Back to Romans 7. There's this fight. We do love the law. We, we want to please God, but we find that it's difficult to do so. And that's where we get to the end of verse 4. The, the, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us to, to do it. You know, the, work, the Spirit is working so that we might follow the law, that we might uh, be righteous people, living it out faithfully. But it, it comes by walking according to to the spirit, not according to the flesh. I'm not going to go there today. That's for next week. What does it mean to walk according
according to the Spirit versus walking according to the flesh. We have that ability as believers now. We have the Spirit, and we can walk according to the Spirit. It is a battle. It's a battle that we face. And it's a battle that is more easily fought and won if we understand that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We've been freed up. We, we have not a cloud hanging over us anymore. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him I find. Alive in him my living head. Clothed in righteousness divine. Those are the words of, of uh, Charles Wesley. And can it be that I should gain. Do we know that joy, that, that freedom of not being under a cloud of condemnation, of, of rejoicing in this no condemnation, this freedom that we have, free to serve and to love the Lord and to, to follow him and, and to walk in his paths and walk in his ways? We have that. We have that. And if we don't grasp that, it's more difficult to walk in the Spirit and easier to walk in in the flesh. May God grant us grace to to come to understand in a deeper way that we are we have no condemnation in Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this wonderful good news that there's no condemnation for us in Christ. Lord, we pray that the implications of that would would be grasped by us all. And Lord, for those who here do not know you, we pray that, that they would see that they're condemned already. They're dead men walking. But Lord, there is pardon with you. And Lord, we ask that even now, anyone here who, who doesn't know you would ask for your pardon. And we know that you would uh, freely give it. Because anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Thank you for those promises. Thank you for your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.